They may be called the next generation, but they're the church of today. Reach, disciple, and mobilize students to share the hope of the gospel. This is Next Gen On Mission with Shane Pruitt. Hi, friends. Thank you for hanging out with us on another episode of the Next Gen On Mission podcast. I am Shane Pruitt, and today we have a very special guest with us that I am so excited about, Jen Wilkin, and we're going to be discussing the next generation and the Word of God. Jen Wilkin is an author and Bible teacher from Dallas, Texas. She has organized and led studies for women in home, church, and parachurch context. She and her family call the Village Church Home. So welcome to the Next Gen on Mission podcast, Jen. We are so excited to have you. Hi, Shane. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you. It's such an honor. Well, Jen, before we get too spiritual, um, what is one fun fact we should know about you that we may not already know? <laughs> um, well, I don't have a lot of secrets at this point, but uh, we, uh, Jeff and I had um, four kids in four years. We had, uh, we were like, oh, let's, let's maybe start having a family and um, ended up with exactly four years between the oldest and the youngest. So uh, we, uh, we always joke, man, you know what's smart? Multiple births. <laughs> not being pregnant four times in a row, but uh, the the Lord was just uh, ready for us to have them all at once, which was just a great gift, but also meant um, I couldn't put two thoughts together for for a period of years. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, hey, let's start a family, a pretty good sized family, and do it all in one day, <laughs> all at once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. We actually had. We had this. We had the same labor and delivery nurse three years in a row, and I think she thought we'd lost our mind. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I love it. I love it. Well, we have a, a pretty good sized family ourselves, so I am in that those trenches with you. That is a constant prayer request. There, <laughs> love it. <laughs> hey, Jen, I always love to start this podcast with the same question, and it's always fun to hear the responses. So when it comes to the next generation, what do we need to know about the next generation? Um, I, I think we need to know that they are uh, ready to be taken seriously, that they understand that the world around them is full of big questions that um, deserve good answers and that they are ready to take it on. Um, I, I've, I've raised a, a chunk of the next generation and they're some of the nicest, smartest and kindest people I know. And they are, I think there's a misconception out there that they are self-focused. I don't find that to be the case. I find them to be outward-focused, aware of um, how their relationships impact others. And um, so that's a gift to the to the church, and I'm excited to see it become um, a part of the DNA of the church in a way that perhaps it, it wasn't in my generation. Yeah, I love that. And I love your statement. They're ready to be taken seriously, and that's exactly what I have found, too. And Jen, in that light, um, how does the next generation view the Bible in your experience? Uh, that's a really good question. I think uh, they're, they are a product of a generation of, of believers. They're, those who have a connection to the church are a product of a generation of believers that has, uh, has seen the Bible as something that someone tells them about versus something that they spend time in themselves. Um, what has been the case in the church for the last 30 years or so is a growing environment where um, we have experts who stand on platforms and tell people 
in the seats what the Bible is. So there's what I describe as an expert amateur divide. Um, the person on the platform perceives themselves to be the subject matter expert, and the person in the seat perceives themselves to be the amateur who just receives passively what they hear. And I think that's a model that is not going to, it doesn't hold for anyone in the church over a period of time, particularly as the world changes around us and we look outward um, to see how to, to filter what's happening. Um, we need to have a firsthand knowledge of our text. And so um, those who are coming up in the next generation right now are going to need that every bit as any other generation, but they may be in environments that are designed to actually almost withhold firsthand knowledge and tell them, you know what you need? You need a devotional or you know what you need? You need um, a book, a study Bible where you read the notes to tell you everything that it means when you're reading or you need a teacher to tell you exactly what it means. And yet in the educational environments that they will be in, um, in, in their schools, uh, they're going to be asked to develop uh, their thinking. And, and so we want the church to be a place where, where students are learning uh, to think, not just to, uh, to take in passive information or to, to see the church as a place that is all about just their feelings. Oh, that's so good. And yeah, and I pray it be so and continue to be so that God would raise up a generation of Bereans that would yeah. hear and then study the text themselves. And I agree with you, Jen. I, you know, and I look over, you know, my context of communicating over the last couple of years. And if there's ever been times where I've been challenged in a good way or even questioned about something I said, it usually comes from college students or high school students. You know, I agree with you. Right. Yeah. On a right. large scale, do you, do you think they believe the Bible to be the word of God or just a book or a guidebook? Like how do conservatively do, how do they view scripture itself? Um, I, I think that those who are in the church are willing to believe that it's the word of God, but they're entering into the, the phase of life where uh, that belief is going to be tested. And, and that's why it's so important that they not just have a sense of what their parents think the Bible is or what their pastor thinks the Bible is. They need to be gaining that firsthand exposure to it so that when they bump into uh, the, the weird parts or the hard parts, they know they can ask the question, wait, is this the Word of God? Why would the Word of God say this and not that? Um, that when they press it with their thinking, um, that they can find answers that are, that are not... Um, that are not unmeasured, that, that the church has been asking and answering good, hard questions about this thing we call the Word of God for 2,000 years, and, and they're not going to come up with a new question. So um, I think like most of us, um, the younger we are, the more likely we are to take someone else's word for it about what the Bible is. But, but as they enter into middle school, high school, and certainly into those post-high school uh, years where they begin working or go off to college, um, that's when they begin to have to... Um, to, to internalize what they've heard is true about the Bible and, and, and find out if it's really going to stick to their ribs. Yeah, I love it. Well, shifting gears a little bit, when we're teaching the Bible, communicating the Bible, what should we keep in mind while teaching the Word of God to the next generation? I think we should keep in mind that they are uh, not going to be served by a feelings-based approach for the long term. And so this is a problem that is pervasive in the church. It's not just in student ministry. It is, um, it is deep into the core of the way that women have been ministered to for many years. And it's the idea that the Bible is predominantly a book about me and how I should live. 
uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a roadmap for life. Uh, and, and what they need, what we all need is to understand the Bible as, uh, as speaking first of who God is, that it is, it's, it's primary purpose is to give us a vision of God high and lifted up that absolutely crushes us mm-hmm. the way that it crushes Isaiah, the way that it crushes Peter, uh, and that we would then, in light of that crushing, understand what it means to be someone who bears the image of God and carries forth the mission of God. So it's not just how does the Word of God speak to my plan. It's who is God, who am I in light of who God is, and how then should I live my life? Uh, and so um, when we think about giving students the Bible, we want to give it to them in a way that asks them to 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 ask um, who is the God of the Bible before they ask what should I do with this. Mm, I love that, and I and your pastor does that so well. Which you being at the Village Church, Matt Chandler, and I just as you're saying that, I just have that audio image in my head where he's going, "You're not David. You're <laughs> not David." <laughs> You're not the one slaying giants. <laughs> Someone has apparently made that into a coffee mug. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have wanted to purchase it. <laughs> yeah. I've I've seen the t-shirt I've seen a t-shirt where it's like an old cartoon of David, you know, with the sling running towards uh, Goliath and under it's you're not David. <laughs> Love it. Jen, if, if a student ministry, young adult ministry, uh, tends to lean more towards being an entertainment and fellowship ministry more than a Word of God ministry, what caution would you give them? Um, I would say that there's that age-old adage in ministry of you um, you, ha- you keep them with how you caught them. Yep. Uh, the way you catch them is what you keep them with. And um, if we want students to stay in the church as adults, then they need to be drawn into what the church is like for adults, Uh, which is not to say that we should not have really fun student ministry environments. I I absolutely think we should. Again, what we're talking about here is making sure that we have the emphases correct in a ministry. But what we don't want is for students to be in the gathering on on the, on Sunday, where the word is preached and the saints gather together to to share communion and to hear stories of um, the Lord's work and to see baptisms and all of that. Um, we don't want that to be a letdown. Uh, we 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 don't want that to be the place that isn't fun. And uh, which is not to say that you're going to have. Um, the same kind or level of fun, you know, you don't want a worship service to be, um, you know, where you're, uh, uh, what are some of the games that are out there? There was, I remember there was, well, this is terrible, but I remember one of my youth ministers bought a toilet from the hardware store and filled it with Gatorade and put, uh, Twix candy bars in it. And people had to, uh, go dunking for Twix. So it was, it was actually hysterically funny yeah. and it wasn't wrong to do it. You know, it wasn't right. It sure. wasn't, I mean, you could, yeah, maybe you wouldn't like the image, but you know, <laughs> it was the kind of thing that was fine to go do on, on a Sunday afternoon with the youth group. But if that's like the whole draw of your ministry, then, then you're ultimately setting students up to fail if, if they don't understand their place in, in the church as a whole or the purpose of gathering together. We want them to have um, good relationships, uh, a lot of fun, and we want them to associate those things with being a part of the Church of God. And sometimes the adults need to learn a little more of the fun aspect of ministry. 
Um, but we also don't want to mislead students to think this is what it means to come to church. Yeah. So what role does the Bible play in next-gen ministries? There needs to be a serious consideration of how to teach Bible literacy to students. Um, they need to, and so Bible literacy is different than um, um, having a devotional. Uh, Bible literacy means that we're training students to have a comprehensive knowledge of what the Bible says primarily. It means that we're working on comprehension and then interpretation and application. But usually what we're giving to students, and I would say to adults too, is we're saying, here, let me tell you what it means, and then I'm going to ask you to apply it. We're only asking them to apply and, uh, and what they need is to have the comprehension piece that helps them understand how the interpretation was arrived at and whether the application is even suitable for that passage. And so if you think about it, um, right at the point that they are ramping up in their school experience, what is asked of them and what is expected of them. So their physics teacher is giving them four hours of homework a week. Um, their math teacher thinks that they can learn algebra and calculus. And the church typically is saying to them, you know what, here's your sacred Bible. Um, give it about five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, and you'll be fine. And so when that is the message that we communicate to students, we're communicating a value to them. Um, you know what you should, you know what is valuable, the thing that you devote the most time and energy to. But here, here's your Bible. Just glance at it occasionally or um, see how it makes you feel for today. And so that's a huge injustice we would do to them. And, and I think it's the reason that you see the reports that come out, like from Lifeway, that say the number one factor that keeps a student in the church after they leave the home is whether or not they were taught the Bible. Yeah, I love that. And I, in a, another episode, Jen, I, we were talking similar um, topic with uh, J.D. Greer. I'm so glad you said about what you said about what they're learning at school and how they can comprehend at school. They can understand the Bible. You know, and I made a comment, if they can understand pre-cal, they can understand theology. That's and uh, right. J.D. Greer replied, if they can order a drink at Starbucks nowadays, they can understand doctrine and theology. <laughs> you know? And so, well, I, you know, yeah, go ahead. Well, there's a, you know, there's a church in our community that um, is asking a lot of the students and they are asking them to go through a four year program in which they learn systematic theology and biblical theology and they learn about the Bible <clears throat> itself. And um, that church asks them to come five days a week, every single morning. And that church is the Mormon church. Oh, wow. And you know what I'm not going to yeah. do? I am not going to, I'm not going to be out discipled by the Mormon church when it comes to our youth. Why do they care more about this than we do? Oh my goodness. What a great word. So for the, the next gen leader that, evaluates their ministry and go, you know what? We do games really well. We gather a crowd really well. We do fellowship really well. Um, but we're probably not reaching people with the gospel. We're not seeing lives transformed. We're not really making disciples. The Bible's probably not the center of everything we do. What, would, what advice would you give them in making that shift to be more of a word-centered uh, ministry? Well, first of all, they're going to be need to be a person who truly values and understands um, why that is important. Like it can't just be a, a goal of, um, you know, like wanting to do their job well. 
<clears throat> they themselves need to be a person who loves the scriptures because students can can read, you know, authenticity in a heartbeat. And so it needs to be evident in their own life that they love and value and approach the scriptures in in a way that um, is building uh, literacy and then also yielding the change that the, 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 the Bible itself reports that it will, that it's living and active and that it divides us. So they should be a living example of it. They should be recruiting leaders for whom that is the case and who, even if the, the leaders may not have the training that they need, but then giving leaders the training to be able to handle the scriptures well with students and, and to be able to speak of their own experience of how the word has transformed them. Uh, and then lastly, they need to be looking at how they can develop um, habits for students, um, help them see rhythms that help this be a regular part of their life, not something that they check off the list um, after giving it just a few minutes, <clears throat> that, they, that they begin to realize that um, there are 66 books in this one book that if I were to have a system of approaching them, I could get into these. Uh, in, in a relatively uh, reasonable amount of time and begin to ask questions and, and, and have good answers from these people who I trust. Yeah. So good. For the young adult... I think a lot of what... Yeah, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think a lot of what I see in youth ministry is that they show up and they have a second sermon, like that they sat through a sermon that morning and then they come back for whenever the youth group meets and they student ministry meets and they hear another sermon and then they talk about what they heard. Um, that's not giving them the Bible. That's giving them what you said about the Bible. And they need a place where they can actually um, <clears throat> do the learning themselves. Um, Howard Hendricks says, never do for your student what your student can do for themselves. Wow. And think how that would revolutionize the way we think about student ministry. If we were trying to equip them to do the work of learning the Bible versus just telling them what it says. Man, that is so good, Jen. A while ago, I was just sitting here. I was thinking, I was like, wow, so good. This is taking me for a minute just to respond. I'm just sitting here digesting everything you're saying, writing things down as fast as I can. Those are so good. And and that is and that that is truly a paradigm shift when you start thinking like that. Um, because, you know, I was a student pastor for six years, and, and I think most of student ministry that I was a part of growing up in was very much like uh, almost, you know, a whole separate worship service. And if we were right. not careful, it was almost led like a church within a church. And so when students yeah. would graduate out of that, then they would have a hard time assimilating into, for lack of a better term, we used to call it big church, right? Um, because right. <laughs> it's almost like they're joining a whole nother church that they don't have any relational connectivity to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. For the young adult college student teenager that's listening and is wanting to have a daily discipline of being in the word, but having a hard time cultivating that holy habit, what advice would you give them and some next steps? Well, I would ask them to evaluate what are the things that I am disciplined about? Like, what do I really love doing and no one has to remind me to do? No one has to coach me to do. No one has to tell me, hey, you should have done that and you didn't. Um, because I think that there is a myth out there that um, discipline is dead, that nobody's disciplined about anything anymore. Um, but, uh, but that's actually not true. Like, people are doing Whole30 and they're running marathons. People are disciplined about the things that they care about. And so the real issue, the, the primary issue with wanting to be better at studying the Bible is that I don't value it or I would do it. 
And so to begin asking, why don't I value it? What is it that I think it won't do or that I, someone has told me it does, but I don't actually believe it. Um, and then I would say the next step would be pray and ask the Lord to give you a desire. You know, it's one thing to know in your head that you should be doing it, but it's another to actually want to. And I remember so distinctly being in college and telling God, I don't want to study the Bible. I think it's boring. It's confusing. Um, I don't know who to reach out to to help me. Um, would you just give me a desire? I need you to make me want to do this. Um, and then it might sound like the next step is to wait for God to give you a desire, but that's never the next step with obedience, right? Like, I still don't have a desire to do my laundry, but I do it anyway because I know I should. Um, laundry and the Bible are not exactly the same. I do actually think that if you ask the Lord to grant you a desire, that He will give it to you. But often we learn to desire something as we do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, I would say that a good first step for students is to just back away from looking for, oh, what's the what's the four-step method? Or the, in my case, I've written on a five-step method, but what is the method that I should be using? Um, and begin by just reading it. Pick a book of the Bible, start at the beginning, and read to the end. And then when you're done, go back and do that again. Read the same book again and give yourself multiple readings of the same book. Um, think of it like the way that the first time you read Shakespeare in a literature class, you have a really hard time following the language or the meaning. But the more time you spend with it, the more you begin to just grasp what what is said. And that's the first piece that students are missing. And then they, they need a good relationship with someone who's further along than they are, who can help guide them in learning how to interpret and to apply. Yeah, definitely. What, Jim, what book, what's your go-to book? As the first one, like, so when, uh, whether it's a new believer or someone says, you know what, I, I want to create this daily discipline, what is your go-to book that you send them to? Because I always found people usually say John, but the gospel of John starts yeah. pretty heavy in chapter a, one, you know? And so yeah. what, what is your go-to kind of first book that you, you send people to? Um, I send them to the book of James mm. uh, because it's five chapters long. And it's wisdom literature. And so um, that whole question of what should I do? Well, you don't really have to wonder what James is telling you to do. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear. And so for people who have, you know, we were, were, were oversaturated with the what should I do question. So I think by starting in New Testament wisdom literature, you give them a chance to um, focus on the, the other two questions that come first, which is what does it say? What does it mean? And then how should it change me? Is that what should I do? And so it's relatively short. So you can you can sort of learn the process of repetitive reading um, with an easier quantity of, of, of reading to do. And um, and I just always urge like my, my method is um, get your study Bible put away once you've read the, the contextual information, the who wrote it, when was it written and who was it written to, you know, all of the things that they might read in a literature class. Like if students would just recapture the method of building literacy that they were taught in in an English class and apply it to the Bible, it would give them a a big head start on getting into the Bible. Like I always want to give people permission to treat the Bible as a a book. It's more than a book, but it is certainly a book. Mm -hmm. So ask those basic questions and then um, start the repetitive reading and, and make notes. Like, what am I seeing? What is James saying is true about God? Like, why does he tell us to be steadfast? Oh, because God is steadfast toward us. I mean, it's a much better reason to be patient with someone uh, that because God is patient with me than it is just because it's good to be patient with people. Like if I if I frame it up that way, 
uh, it changes the way I think about the application point. But James is a really good starting point because it's, it's accessible and it's short and you don't wonder what to do. Oh, I love it. All right. Well, there you go. You just set me down a different path because James, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. You know, and I think just by default, just because that's kind of what I grew up with and was always heard is I would just say, yeah, start reading John. And then here recently, I did a verse by verse study through John again for myself and personal time. It's like, this is really John one just, I mean, just starts immediately. You yeah. know? And so uh, James, yeah. I love it. James, I'm going to start sending people to James. I love it. So, Jen, we always <laughs> close with the same on mission charge. The heart behind this podcast is to see the next generation realize that they're now generation, that not just the future of the church, but they're also the church right now. They have a mission now, a calling now. So give us one closing thought on this. Yeah, I mean, the beauty of it is their calling is the same as it is for the rest of the church. It is to follow the great commandment and the great commission. So their call is to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love their neighbor as they love themselves. And so, uh, you know, it's an interesting time of life when you're a student, you're learning how to love yourself properly. That is what it means to go through the developmental stages of growing up. It's, it's understand it's self-awareness, self-knowledge, so that you can then turn outward and become a functioning citizen of your society, of your community, of your church, and of your family. And so their their task is to understand what it means is to have that right self-love that's grounded in love of God, to understand what does it mean to be an, an image bearer of God himself, and then how do I inhabit the world? And then secondly, the Great Commission, um, that we're to go and make disciples um, by teaching them to obey all that was commanded. And so that, that last part is the part that the Bible teacher always loves to emphasize, right? Mm-hmm. You can't teach people to obey everything that is commanded if you don't know what is commanded. And so that's why it's so vital for them to, as those who want to be true and full members of the Church of God, to know the Word of God, um, to believe the Word of God. But, you know, they, they say that the, the most important piece in retaining what we learn is to be able to turn and teach it to someone else. And so... Um, that's what they're called to do. It's what we're all called to do. But it's something that they don't have to wait until they're 35 or 45 or 55 to begin taking up that mantle. Yeah, that's right. Jen, this has been so good, so rich. I literally have a page full of notes over here. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> hey, how can people connect with you and, and how can they follow you on social media? Uh, I'm out there on Twitter. I'm, you know, I'm always usually in duck and cover out on Twitter like most people, uh, but I occasionally put things out there. Uh, Instagram, which I believe is the last happy place with social media. You can find me out there posting pictures of my pug predominantly. And then, uh, yeah. And then I have a, I have a website, denwilkin.net where I post, you know, where I'm traveling to or where I'm speaking and any, any news about, um, new things that are going on. And then, you know, we put out resources um, for, for student ministers or for students who are looking for something. Um, all of the Bible studies that I produce, um, either through the Village Church or through my own um, previous ministry efforts, are geared toward toward grounding you in the Scriptures and, and giving you tools, not just teaching you a book of the Bible, teaching you how to be a better student of the Bible in general. And those are, those are appropriate for middle school and high school students to do. And will help them to, to grow in literacy. And they're not particularly gender specific in the way they're focused. I love it. Yeah, great resources. Please take advantage of those. Thank you again for listening to the Next Gen on Mission podcast. If you have any questions on reaching the next generation, please email us 
at evangelism at nam.net. That's N-A-M-B dot net. And we'll address those on a future podcast. Have a great rest of your day and tell somebody about Jesus.